Brian called. <laughs> On your left. <laughs> Whoops. Accidentally butt dialed mom. Accident. Yeah, no, sorry, I'm focused. Accident? Okay, wait. You had an accident? Ryan needs me, so stay close to your phone, okay? Uh-huh. What was mom yelling about? I have no idea. Mom? Caroline! Honey, what? Do you have a key to my room? Yeah. She has oh, a key to you? room is disgusting. Wait a minute, she's at the store. What are you doing? Hours. Are you playing with Dad? Seriously? Give me that. Because you are both in so much trouble. <laughs> wow, talk about bad blood. Hey, uh, so good to have all of you at all of our churches today because we are in our fourth and our final week of our series entitled Bad Blood. And if you have not been with us for the past four weeks uh, or past three weeks, I would just say we have been learning some very important principles that you really need to know if you're going to deal well with the relationships that have bad blood in them. Because really what this series has been all about is that there are some things that we are able to do to really help all those difficult relationships we have move to a place of peace or a place of health. And, and that really has been the heart. That really has been the motivation behind this whole series, trying to figure out how to help all of us because we all have it. And sometimes bad blood just happens as simple as just miscommunication, as you saw um, just now in that bumper video, but it's to help all of us overcome the bad blood that we have relationally. So if you have not been with us, I really would encourage you to go back and watch or listen the first three weeks of this series so that you have a full grasp of this four-week conversation. Now, here's why what we have learned over the past three weeks is so important. If you don't know how or if you don't know what to apply from each of the previous weeks, because we gave each week, we gave you a different step. The principle that we're going to talk about today, instead of using it as a tool to keep bad blood out of your relationships, what's going to happen is you will use it as a weapon in your relationships to cause more bad blood. Now, to get us started in our conversation again today, I want to take us back to week one because the big idea in week one was really the foundation for this whole series. And we talked about the primary reason that we have bad blood in our relationships. And it wasn't what most of us think when we think about why we have bad blood, because for most of us, when we think about why we have bad blood, it's them, it's those difficult people, it's that difficult person, it's because they're not emotionally meeting my needs or they're not emotionally engaging the relationship or they're not being sensitive to me and who I am. But we learn from James, who is a half-brother of Jesus in James chapter four, verses one and two, that there is another reason that is greater than them. 
And it has to do with us. And for the past three weeks, we have been saying this together, so I'm going to have you say it with me again. And, and I know this primary reason for why we have bad blood, it is so difficult to say. It takes a lot of intentionality when you feel tension in a relationship or feel bad blood in a relationship. But even that, more than intentionality, it takes a lot of humility to say these three words which are the primary reason for why we have bad blood in our relationship. But all of us at all of our churches, I want us to say this together. Here they are. I am needy. Whew, that's hard to say, isn't it? You know, to stop in that moment of tension when you're starting to get angry at this person or you're frustrated with this person or you're aggravated with this person or you're feeling disappointed by this person, to stop and say, oh, you know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting from them what I want. Because I'm needy, I'm angry at them. Because I'm needy, I'm frustrated at them. Because I'm needy, I'm disappointing in them. Now, now, here's the trouble with us not recognizing that we are needy first. Here's what happens. Needy people become demanding people. See, here's what happens when our God-given needs get corrupted and, and our desire to have those needs met becomes such a strong need inside of us, um, such a strong urge inside of us. Without realizing it, what we do is, as James said in James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we begin to leverage other people. We begin to demand that other people start meeting our, our needs to the point that we will fight and quarrel to get them to try to meet them. Now, today what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of turn the tables Move from looking at, we need to look at our neediness. That was the first three weeks. We're going to turn the tables and we're going to talk about how do we deal with other people when their neediness becomes demanding on us and unreal, unreal expectations of us. So today, um, as we start this and we start talking about other people's neediness kind of spilling out on us, I just want to be very clear and give some context for this. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are truly called by God to help people who are really in need. Like we should have a growing heart for the poor. We should have a heart for those who are downcast. Like we should have a heart for people who truly are in need. And we should see every resource that we have available to us as God's resource to help those that are in need around us. But today when we talk about needy people, please understand, we're talking about emotional neediness. We're referring to people whose emotional neediness has just started spilling out so much that they either have an entitlement mentality or they have this expectation, this demanding expectation of other people to the point that they are willing to cause quarrels and fights in the relationship in order to get their needs met. Which is why I think probably one of the most challenging questions when we deal with those kind of relationships where you have people with unrealistic expectations of you, it's like, when is enough enough? Like, how long do I need to continue to try to meet their needs? How long do I continue to show grace and forgiveness? And how long do I try to reconcile? And how long do I keep going back and trying to have a conversation? Because every time I reach out, I feel like I've gotten taken advantage of one more time, or I'm made to feel like a doormat one more time, or I, I get hurt one more time, and it, it just doesn't work. 
Like at what point in my life do I need to say trying to meet their needs is irresponsible on my part? Now, now, what's really interesting about this is the writers of scriptures, they talk about this. They, they talk about the kinds of, these kinds of people on multiple occasions. In fact, um, it's interesting. You may want to write this down. One of the ways they refer to people who are overly demanding because of their emotional neediness is they refer to them as fools or foolish people. And I know that can sound harsh, because a lot of times we love these people. They, they are our spouse, they are our siblings, they are our parents, our coworkers, our friends. But the writer of scripture, when it talks about people being foolish or fools, it doesn't mean that they're unintelligent. It doesn't mean that they're bad. Instead, a fool or a foolish person is a person who is so emotionally needy that they continue to behave in a way that hurts themselves or hurts other people. So one writer, who's by the name of Solomon, he, he talks about, this foolish behavior. And he talks about it in a very profound, but a very disgusting kind of way. And he helps us understand the behavior of a foolish person and why we need to apply what we're going to apply in our lives today. Here's what he says. As a dog returns to its vomit. Now, this is kind of disgusting. Going to mess up some of your lunches. Have you ever seen a dog return to its vomit, right? That's kind of a disturbing kind of sight when you see a dog do that. I mean, because it's really, it's a shame because they act like they enjoy it, you know? It's like, it's, it's real a shame. But what's even more disturbing is people who have dogs that do this, but they let the dogs lick and kiss them on the face. You know, it's like, like <laughs> that's just really disturbing. But anyhow... But notice what Solomon says. He says, as a dog returns to its vomit, and then he continues, he moves on. He says, so do fools repeat their folly? In other words, he's saying a foolish person, because of their emotional neediness, they will continue to do the same thing over again and again, even if it's hurtful to themselves and even if it's hurtful to other people. They'll continue to make the same terrible choices. They'll continue to make the same demands. They will continue to have unrealistic expectations. In fact, if you read more about what Solomon says throughout the book of Proverbs about people who are fools or foolish people, he says, he goes on to say that a fool is someone who does not take ownership for their side of the problem, that they refuse to take responsibility for what is theirs to own. In other words, like foolish people, they don't change their own behavior to meet the demands of life. Instead, what they want is they want reality around them to change to accommodate the way they want to live in order to meet their emotional needs. They want everybody else to be responsible to make them happy and meet their needs. And a lot of you are sitting there thinking, I know somebody like that. Don't point at them. Don't look at them. Just look right here, you know. So the question is like, when do you say enough is enough? 
At what point do you establish some boundaries with a person who is so emotionally needy that they have unrealistic expectations for you. And when you don't meet them, they get angry, they get frustrated, they go talk about you, they, they undermine you, they stab you in the back. I mean, they, they turn you into this villain because you didn't meet their emotional needs. The good news is, Scripture gives us a lot of examples of how to deal with this. In fact, we're going to look at an example from Jesus today, and we're going to give you a path by looking at this example for how you need to deal with people whose emotional neediness causes them to make demands or have expectations of you that are absolutely unrealistic to the point that they're willing to fight, to the point that they're willing to create a quarrel with you in order to try to manipulate you, guilt you, you know, coerce you to get their needs met. So if you're following along, I'd like for you to go with me to John chapter 5. John gives us this account in John chapter 5, and he tells us about this encounter that Jesus has with this crippled man. And in this encounter, we learn the principle that we all need to apply to our lives if we're going to be able to balance attention of dealing with people who are overly emotionally needy in our lives in a life-giving, a healthy kind of way. So I want you to look for how Jesus models for us how to deal with people in John chapter 5. Here's what he says. Sometimes later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem... Near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five colored, col covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and learned that he had been there in this condition for a long time, he asked him this question, do you want to get well? Uh, I don't want you to miss this question. In fact, I want you to highlight it. I want you to underline it, make, make a note about it, because here's why this question is so important. If you don't learn the answer to this question, whenever you're dealing with a person who is emotionally needy, you will always find yourself trying to give that person relief. Literally what you will be doing is you will be enabling their demanding behavior. And so instead of like helping them find restoration or emotional relational healing in their life, what will happen is, is you will just try to meet all their needs and all their demands and you're just going to be trying to help them find relief. And here's the thing. If a person just wants relief, what they want is they want you to make them feel better. And what's going to happen is if they just want relief and they just want you to make them feel better, they're just going to continue to be demanding and have greater and greater expectations of you. No matter what you do, it will never be enough. That's what happens if someone just wants relief. They just have greater and greater demands and expectations all the time. No matter what you do, it's not enough. But if a person wants to be made whole, 
If a person wants restoration in the relationship, emotionally and in relational health in their life, then what they are willing to do is they're willing to take action. They're willing to make corrective behavior in order to make things better in the relationship. In fact, listen to the crippled man's response. The sick man said, sir, when the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. By the time I get there, somebody else is already in. I mean, I want you to notice that when Jesus asked this man, do you want to be well? He, he tells Jesus why he's not already well. Because after all, no, nobody will help me. By the time I can do it, it's, it's too late. Well, let's just kind of make this practical for ourselves in, in 21st century. Here's a quick question to do that. Have you ever tried to get helpful advice to someone who is emotionally needy? And they responded by making excuses or blaming or deflecting. In other words, when you try to help them, they come back with some blame or some excuse. You know what? That, that's why... People who are emotionally needy and they have these unrealistic expectations of, it's why they make us crazy in relationships. Because they never see themselves as responsible for the problem. In their mind, it's always somebody else's fault. They always have an excuse. They always have someone to blame. They always have a way to deflect it off of themselves. I mean, they'll say things like, you know, oh, I'm just depressed. And the reason they're depressed or the reason they're jealous is because they're not getting what they deserve from someone. Or they hate their job because their boss or their coworkers are just so insensitive or so overbearing or they're fighting in their marriage because their husband or their wife is just so out of touch emotionally and relationally or so impossible to deal with or they can't be happy because someone or everyone is making their life miserable and they have plenty of excuses and blame to go around to help you understand why. But I want you to notice Jesus' response to this man. Notice what Jesus says, next part of the story. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bedroll, start walking. The man was healed on the spot. Listen, if you want to know if a person wants to be well, if you want to know if they want to be well or whole in their relational world, what you have to do is you have to talk to them about their demanding behavior and then listen to their response. Tell, tell them how they can change just like Jesus did and then see what they do. Let me say this one more time. If you want to know if a person wants to be well, you don't have to go up to them and ask them, do you want to be well? No, no, no. All you need to do is just tell them, talk to them about their unrealistic expectations in your relationship or their demanding behavior, and then listen to their response. And here's the thing, if they make all kinds of excuses and start blaming and insulting you and abusing you and those kind of things, you kind of know they don't want to be well. But just tell them how they can kind of change their behavior and how you can see this relationship getting better and, and then see what they do. Notice what this man does. He picked up his bedroll and walked off. And see, you can tell by this crippled man's behavior, his response, like once he was made aware of the unhealthy way that he was handling his neediness, he's given this opportunity to be well. What does he do? He does what it takes to get well. And folks, this is so important. 
When, when you ask the question, and you don't necessarily ask it literally, sometimes it's figuratively, do you want to be well? Just watch how the person responds. Because in asking this question and finding out this question by telling them how they're being demanding or overbearing or how, you know, we need to shape this relationship interaction a little differently so it works for both of us, both of us it, you quickly begin to discover what kind of boundaries you need with that emotionally demanding person. Literally, you begin to figure out quickly, do they care enough about having a relationship with you to change their behavior to work for the both of you? And the way that you do that is you talk to them about how it's not working, about how they have unrealistic expectations. Maybe even tell them, like, needs that you're wanting to meet, I can't even do that. I, I'm not even capable of that. And then listen to how they respond. And even tell them how they can change and, and then see what they do. And here's the thing you've got to understand. The bigger the gap between what they say and what they do, the greater the boundaries that you need to place in your life with them. And make sure that you pay close attention, not just to their actions, but also to their words. You need to understand this. In Proverbs chapter 9, Solomon also talks about this. And he says there are three categories of people that you're going to deal with. And, and he talks about their emotional neediness in these three categories. He says the one person who really is not that emotionally needy, he calls him a wise person. And then he says there's another person that is emotionally needy and he calls them a foolish person or a fool. And then he says there's a really emotionally needy person and he calls them wicked or evil. And here's the thing. When you interact with a wise person, Solomon says this. He says, correct a wise person, and here, get, don't miss this, they become wiser still. And then he goes on and says, and they will love you. In other words, you have this conversation, you have the conversation of how we can make it better, they become wiser, they correct their behavior, and your relationship gets better. You know they're wise because of that. Then he goes on, he says, correct a foolish person, and they will insult you. How do they insult you? They start blaming you. They start blaming other people. They start deflecting. They, they start demeaning. They, they get angry. They start pushing back. Well, if you had not done this or if you had done that, and by their words, you can tell. You can tell they're a foolish person. They don't change their behavior. They just insult you. And then the evil person, it says, correct an evil person and they will abuse you. So what kind of boundaries you need with a wise person is different than the boundaries you need with a foolish person and different than the boundaries you need with an evil person. And understand the evil person is not a wicked person in the sense that they are so sinful. It's they have been wounded so deeply that their emotional deediness is so deep that they want you to feel the hurt and the pain they feel. So they try to inflict that same pain on you. So Solomon says, you, you got to be wise. So whenever we interact with someone who's over needy, understand their actions as well as their words are going to show you what kind of boundaries you need. In fact, one of the things you'll discover, their words and their actions never line up. They never do. 
So you just got to understand their response is going to show you whether they want relief or whether they want restoration, whether they're wise, whether they're foolish, or whether they are evil. So do they want to be restored to healthy relationships or do they want relief? So write this down. You always set boundaries based on whether a person wants relief or restoration. Now, here's the truth. This is the truth. Because we live in a broken world, most people don't want, really, they really don't want emotional relational health, even though they say that they do. You know why? Because healthy relationships, they really require action on our part more than they require action on the other person's part. It means that I have to change my behavior on my part in order to be able to relate with you well. Most people want relief, and relief means responsibility is on you for making them feel better, for making them happy in the moment. So with every needy person in your life, what you have to do is you got to discover what kind of boundaries you need. And the less action they take to change their behavior, or, or the more they insult you, or the more they abuse you, the greater the boundaries that you need to put in place. And let me just say... Please don't use this principle of creating boundaries that we're talking about today as an excuse to shut someone out of your life or shame them for their neediness. Because most people didn't ask for life to cause the wounds and the hurt that happened in their life that caused their neediness. And it's why you need to have this conversation and say, hey, can we adjust this? Because most people don't even know how to change. But whenever you tell someone that, hey, this, this is not working because, you know, your, real, your expectations are too unrealistic or you're being too demanding, and then you start realizing that they don't see this as problematic behavior and they start insulting you and they start abusing you, just know that they're not going to change their behavior even if you try to meet their needs. And so you're going to need to create some boundaries in your life. So here's the question. How do you create boundaries? Here's how you do it. You might want to write this down. You choose to be responsible to people, not take responsibility for people. Let me say this one more time. This is so important. You choose to be responsible to people, not take responsibility for people. Why? Because there is a big difference between being responsible to people and being responsible for people. See, when you take responsibility, when you're responsible to people, you're just taking responsibility for your own actions toward other people. But when you're taking responsibility for people... You're taking on the responsibility to make them feel good. You're taking on the responsibility to make sure they're happy, for fixing their situation, for meeting their emotional needs. And because of their emotional neediness, they really want you to take the place of God in their life in order to meet their needs. And here's the thing you got to understand. Not even Jesus tried to do that when he was here on this earth. In fact, if you follow the life of Jesus, you will discover that Jesus chose to be responsible to people, not to take responsibility for people. He was responsible to love. He was responsible to make sure to love and show mercy and to show grace and kindness. He was responsible to forgive but Jesus always lived, if you watch his, boundary, or his, his, his ministry, and especially if you read the book of Mark, he always lived with boundaries when it came to people. 
Jesus did not take responsibility for people's feelings. He didn't take responsibility for people's emotions. And he did not give people everything they wanted every time. Like Jesus didn't heal everyone. He didn't raise everyone from the dead. Like, you got to understand, Jesus, he chose, he chose Jesus didn't let other people determine how he set up his time. He didn't let other people determine how he set up his schedule. He made a choice to be responsible to people. Like when he was with a crowd, he healed some, but he healed everyone. Sometimes he would walk away from a crowd that was full of sick people and needy people, depending on what, what was best. And the question is, how did he determine what was best? How did he determine what was best? By listening to the voice of his heavenly father. Please understand this. Jesus cared more about people than any other person on planet earth. In fact, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Jesus cared more for those who are in need more than anyone else who's ever lived. And even though Jesus cared more than anyone else, Jesus was responsible to not responsible for. Please hear me. You are not responsible for people. You are only responsible to people. You're not responsible for giving what you do not have to give, what you are not capable of giving. You're not responsible for like responding to their every demand. You're not responsible for making them happy. You're not responsible for making their, or for, for making them, making sure their life is working well. You're not responsible for their feelings or their emotions. You're not responsible for fixing their situation. You're responsible to be a person of grace. You're responsible to follow the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit in your life as you interact. And as you're led by the Holy Spirit, you're responsible to show love and to show kindness and to show mercy and forgiveness. And you're responsible not only to show grace, but you're also responsible to speak the truth in love to help them know how they can find restoration and healing in their life. So you give Daily, you give grace to their shortcomings, but you live in this truth. You are not responsible for the emotions and the feelings and the behavior of others. They are responsible for their emotions. They are responsible for their feelings. They are responsible for their behaviors and the consequences that they experience from their behaviors. In fact, here's one other thing you need to understand about this. You're actually helping a foolish person out by letting them experience the consequences and not trying to meet their demands. Now, I just gave some real good parenting advice. It's, it's, listen, parents, see, our children are born into this world not bad, but foolish. Our job is to allow them to experience enough consequences and guide them in the process of that when the consequences are small so that they become wise as adults. When we try to meet all of their demands and meet all their emotional needs and make ourselves responsible for them instead of to them, we create emotionally needy adults. And when we talk about stuff like this, this sometimes doesn't feel like the Christian thing to do because as Christ followers, oftentimes we think, well, I should just continue to show mercy and I should just continue to show kindness and forgiveness and grace. 
And yes, you should do all those things. But you got to understand that unconditional love, it necessitates conditional assistance. Don't miss this. In fact, you might want to write this down. Unconditional love necessitates conditional assistance. And I can tell you, that statement, when you first look at it, it can feel like, well, that's not a really loving thing. When in reality, it's probably one of the most loving things that you can do because love, it can love from a distance. That's the power of love. And not giving in, it doesn't mean that you're giving up on that person. And sometimes it feels like, well, if I don't give in here then they're going to feel like that I'm giving up on them. And maybe somebody who's overly emotionally needy has even tried to leverage you on that. And they said, well, you call yourself a Christian? Like, how could you say no to me if you're such a Christian? You should be meeting my needs. Or they say, well, you're family. I can't believe that you're abandoning me in my time and need. And the truth is, there is a big difference in giving in and not giving up. Which is why one of the best words in establishing boundaries and it will keep you out of quarrels and fights with people is you just say, no, no, I'm, I'm not capable of doing that. No, I'm not able to do that. Especially when it comes to that family member or that child or that coworker or that friend who's continually getting themselves in trouble financially and always wanting you to bail them out and borrow more money from you. Sometimes you just go, no, I'm not capable of that. And they go, well, you have money and go, yeah, that's why I'm going to keep my money because I say no to the right people. Don't say that, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> It's because I have boundaries. All you have to do is say no. And, they, and they're going to come at you because they're, they're foolish or, they're, or they're, they're hurts and wounded. So they're in that evil category and they're going to assault you and they're, they're going to abuse you. And you just go, no, I'm sorry. Or it's, it's, it's no to that person who just keeps wanting to move out and, and then they want to keep moving back in because they don't manage their life right. Or, you know, that person who's in your life that they're always trying to control you or manipulate you to try to get their needs met. Or they just, every time you get involved in them, there's just something hurtful that comes out. Or someone who's trying to take advantage of you because they're saying, they're, they're always asking you to be responsible for, for their emotions and their behavior and their feelings. I'm just telling you, the best word to create a boundary is to go, no. Listen, most of the people you create a boundary with, you don't even need to say that you're creating a boundary to them. You just create the boundary. And oftentimes you just use the word no. Now, here's the thing you got to understand. God has never given up on any of us. And no matter what you or I do, he will never give up on us. He never will. But here's the thing you've got to understand. As a follower of Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't establish boundaries. And say something like this. You know what? In this situation, we say to ourselves, I'm not going to give in. But I'm never going to give up. I'm always going to have hope that things are going to get better in this person's life. And as they experience the consequences of their own behavior and their own emotions and, and their own actions... I'm always going to pray and have hope that things are going to change. I'm going to always believe that that is possible, which is why we say, listen, unconditional love always means unconditional acceptance, but it requires conditional assistance. So whenever you set boundaries, 
It is really crucial that you stay open to whatever the future holds in that person's life because sometimes they can move from being that evil person or that foolish person to being a wise person. In fact, the truth is we're all foolish at some level, aren't we? Because we're all needy, right? We all have those areas where we're somebody's crazy maker. If you don't believe you are, just ask the people around you. But the reality is a boundary is not a barrier. A boundary is not the Great Wall of China. A boundary, don't miss this picture. A boundary is a fence with a gate and the handle is on my side. And what it allows me to do, it allows me to let the good of that person in and it allows me to close it and keep the bad of that person's neediness out. Because see, the reality, the boundary is for me. And it's my boundary to protect me from their foolish demands. So you have to set boundaries. But the way you set boundaries is you first have to understand that I am needy. I need to forgive. I need to have a conversation. And when I have dealt with all these things that we talked about in the first three weeks, then I can set a healthy boundary. So imagine if you got to the place where you could set healthy boundaries. Imagine the freedom of waking up tomorrow morning, not feeling the responsibility to make the world around you happy. Uh, imagine the freedom of being able to look at, at a family member or even a child and say, I'm sorry you feel that way and not feel like you have to fix it. I have a good friend of mine, he said the way his mom created boundaries for him because he was a very volatile, volatile, emotional, needy child. It wasn't his fault. His dad abandoned them when he was really young. And, and he said what his mom would do is he would look at her and he'd be so mad at her because trying to leverage her to get her to meet his needs. And he'd say when she wouldn't do things exactly the way, I hate you, mom. I can't stand you. I hate, you know, I hate you, that kind of thing. I hope, you know, you experience all kind of pain. And, and, and she would look at him and she would say, I am really sorry you feel that way. But I want you to know there's enough love in my heart for both of us, so our relationship will be fine. See, that, that's creating emotional boundaries that are healthy. And imagine having that kind of freedom. Then to be able to walk on and go about your day without sitting in your office boohooing all day long because your child said, I hate you, you know. Every parent has been told by their child they were hated. All three of my children told me they hated me multiple times. So. You will survive it, right? See, just imagine, imagine the freedom of waking up tomorrow and that control freak in your life and they try to control you with anger and you don't even feel responsible for making them happy. You go, oh, you're mad today. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. It's bad. It's tough. It's a bad way to live. I mean, come on, can you imagine tomorrow morning waking up knowing that you're free from being responsible for the feelings, the emotions, and the behaviors of others? And you're just free to walk and live in the Holy Spirit with the Holy Spirit in your life. And you're only responsible to you and to God. And all your responsibility is to that overly needy person in your life is just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as he leads you to be a person of grace and truth in their life. Living every day, loving people just like Jesus did, giving them grace and truth, knowing that we're all needy, so we have to give grace abundantly. 
I'm just telling you, if you want healthy relationships, if you want peace about the relationships, even when you can't have peace in the relationships, it only happens when you understand that we're all needy and we have to give grace. But sometimes the truth will reveal that we need boundaries and we just need to set healthy boundaries. And we don't need to quarrel and fight to do it. We just say, no, I, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I would love, love to see your life better, but I can't do that right now. I want to challenge all of you to lean in to the Holy Spirit and just understanding, hey, God has, God has a path. It starts with saying, I am needy, dealing with the fact that the primary reason we have quarrels is because we're needy, then going through the whole forgiveness process to the people that we feel like owe us and, and canceling that debt, and then going having those conversations of reconciliation as we talked about last week so that we can create healthy boundaries where we can truly love people and let the good of people into our lives and close a gate and keep the bad out. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for just the way that you love us enough to help us in those complicated areas of our life to get life right. And I, I thank you that following, following you, it, it just makes our life so much better. It makes us so much better at life. So I, I just pray that today we all walk out not being angry at the person who's overly needy, but feeling a level of compassion and, and care and love. Because most of the time our, our emotional neediness doesn't come from something we do. It's something that life did to us. But at the same time, being able to set healthy boundaries so that we can live a life that is the life that you've called us to live. God, help us to not feel like we're responsible for people anymore, but that we are responsible to show the love of Jesus Christ in the best way possible. And your Holy Spirit will help us to do that so that we can help them, as we have healthy boundaries, move to a place of healing in their own lives as well. Thank you for your love. We live in it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for being with us. Hey, can't wait to see all of you at all of our churches tonight at 530 for our evening of vision. Can't wait for you to hear what we got to say. Have a great day.